You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Uh, it's a, I'm just going to dive into the message because we're just slightly late, later than usual. Today's message is called The Underdog. I would suggest that everybody here at some stage in their life has felt like an underdog, that you were the one that was underneath and that a lot of other people were ahead of you in your situation. You may have felt that at school or in your neighborhood or you may have felt it at work. Maybe you continue to feel it. So what is an underdog? Uh, If English isn't your first language, underdog is someone who's expected to lose. Someone who has little chance of winning. That's what an underdog is. And I'm here today not to give a psychological pep talk to try and get you to think positive. I don't want to get into positive thinking. I want to get into the rhythm of the Bible that challenges us to think in a biblical way. Amen? Is that okay? Okay, well, on the basis of the half a dozen who said yes, I'm going to go forward. We're going to look at two chapters. I'm just going to pick a couple of verses out of 1 Samuel 13, 1 Samuel 14. If you want to get the full impact, these are powerful chapters. Read them yourself in your devotional time during the week. But we're going to zoom in and look at the Old Testament The children of Israel are the people of God. They have a king called Saul, not a great king, and he's got a son called Jonathan. And the context is there's a neighboring state, and they're very powerful, called the Philistines, and they are lording it over the people of God. The people of God are the underdogs. And I want to look at how God challenges them and uses someone so that they don't remain an underdog. And if you feel like an underdog at work, maybe you don't have the same skill set as the other people in the office. Maybe at school you're not as sharp as the others or you're not as popular. Maybe your face doesn't fit in with whatever the current beautiful thing is. Maybe your body shape. Maybe you're too thin or too heavy or too small or too tall. I don't know what it is. Maybe your personality isn't what people consider cool or popular or whatever. The thing is, the enemy of your soul can warm warm his way into your thinking and cause you and cause me to feel like an underdog. And that's what I want to look at today. And I pray, God, your word would come alive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's the situation. Finally, the people of God, the Israelites, are really getting fed up with being the underdog. They gather their army, and here's what happens. While King Saul and his son Jonathan were camped with their army, Philistine raiding parties attacked Israel, not from one, not from two, but from three directions. There was no iron in Israel because the Philistines kept that expertise to themselves, saying, (laughs) we won't let them have that because we won't let them make swords or spears in case they challenge our power. We won't let them have iron. And we won't let them have the expertise of iron because they will challenge our power. A few days later, Jonathan, that's the king's son, said to his assistant, let's attack the Philistines. 
maybe the Lord will go before us and help us. Nothing can stop the Lord, whether there are many or there are only a few. Do everything you have in mind to do, his assistant replied. I'm with you, heart and soul. So the two of them attacked a company of 20 Philistine soldiers. Even as the Philistines laughed and mocked at them, saying, Come on over to us. We'll teach you a lesson. They were from Cork. Come over and we'll teach you a lesson. You can just hear that in the Cork building site, can't you? Come over here. Climb up with me, Jonathan said to his assistant. The Lord has given them to us. And then the two of them (gasps) killed 20 Philistines. As soon as word got out about this among all the Philistines, a great panic broke out among all their army. But that panic was sent from God. We're told straight away that as soon as they began to gather their army, they were getting frustrated with being under the thumb, that they were attacked from three different directions. Trouble seldom comes on its own. It usually brings, when trouble knocks at your door or my door, he brings his cousins with him. And usually you'll get a leak in the roof, you'll get a pain in your leg, and your partner, your husband, your wife will be odd with you or whatever. It usually comes like that. You'll get three things together or more. And here we see, as soon as they start stirring, you see, before this, they did have peace, but it was the peace of a loser. Have you got a peace of a loser? That's no peace. As long as you accept my power over you, this is the Philistines, then you can live in peace. But you bow to me every time I pass. I come and I take your money constantly. And you're a second-class citizen. In fact, you're not a citizen at all. And as soon as they challenged that peace, they were attacked. They became an abomination in the eyes of the Philistine army. And remember, we're told that the Philistines, and the scripture records, there was no iron in Israel, as the Philistines kept that expertise to themselves. So if you read into it, you couldn't find a blacksmith. They're the guys who forged the iron. You couldn't find one in the whole nation of Israel. They had to go to the Philistines because the Philistines kept that technology. It's a bit like an army today. You take, I don't know if you're into it, but you take the Israeli army today, you know, their their current descendants, probably the most technologically advanced army in the world. And you take some of the armies around them, they're using conventional weapons. They're just not a match. So the technology, it's like artificial intelligence versus just rudimentary thought. It's a bit like in World War II, we're told that when the German army invaded Poland, they came in in tanks and the Polish army uh, tried to attack them with horses. That's the kind of thing we're dealing with. And look what they said. We won't allow them swords and spears of iron in case they challenge our power. It's all about power, isn't it? It's all about control. What are the three sins? Money, sex, and power. There are no other. They all revolve around one of those. 
There's something going on. It's either to do with money or sex or power. They're the issues. And here we see these guys wanted control over other people. Is, have you got a teacher like that? Have you got a boss like that? Have you got a workmate like that? Have you got someone in your wider family like that? This is what the people of God were facing. And so we see the underdog situation. They had no iron. Their enemy had all the technology. Here's the thing. King Saul, through all of this, he made a big comfortable armchair, if you read into it, and he sat under a tree. And all of this is going on, and Saul is having a grand old time sitting under the shade of a big, I think it was a tamarisk tree. Why? He just loved to delegate. A little bit after this, Goliath the giant was profaning God's name. Saul didn't do anything. He left a 16-year-old boy attack him. His name was David. Saul just didn't like to get his hands dirty. If I ever I go into a church and I see a pastor who won't do anything, he won't roll up his sleeves, it's an alarm bell ringing for me. Whoever wants to be the greatest, you become the servant of all. You're a pastor and you're not willing to clean a toilet, something wrong in your soul. You go on your knees and you wash people's feet. But Saul started out okay in his faith, but his heart got cold. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because the evil one wants to make it cold. And you know, he won't do it suddenly, he'll do it gradually. Saul's heart went cold, so through all of this crisis, he's just sitting in a comfortable armchair. And if you look at it, the odds were 10 to 1 against them. That was the numbers that we read. But we read about someone else, Saul's son, Jonathan. Look what he says. Let's attack the Philistines, Jonathan said. Just to one other guy. Maybe the Lord will go before us and help us. Nothing can stop. As soon as Jonathan uttered these words, there is a power in words. Life and death are in the power of your tongue and my tongue. And as soon as Jonathan uttered, uttered those words, he was making a proclamation. He was proclaiming something powerful and wonderful. I will not be an underdog anymore. I can remember feeling terribly like an underdog when I started secondary school. I was 12 going on 13, and I went to my local school, uh, Greenmount, over on Green Street here. And it was a mixed school. There was guys from poor backgrounds, you know, not so poor backgrounds, but generally speaking, it was a rough enough school. And from what I understand, my parents wanted me to go there, partially because it was close by, but also they wanted me to experience life that way. But then when it came to secondary school, they wanted me to go to a private school, a fee-paying school. So they wanted me to go to a school called Prez over in the Mardike, Presentation Brothers. And in order to go there, you had to pass all these exams. Anyway, I got in. But the thing is, they had a primary school, that school, Presentation Brothers at the time. And so... Out of the 100 boys that were going into first year in secondary school, 98 of them came from the private primary school. That was the feeder school. There were two of us who didn't come from that primary school. Why is that an issue? Because they all knew each other well. 
their parents were friends with each other. They would go on holidays together. They all played rugby together. We, we didn't know what rugby was growing up in Greenmount. We had the GAA and that, but we never had rugby. And all of these guys lived in two pockets in the city. One group in Bishopstown, the other group in Douglas. I didn't come from either of those areas. So when I went into school, it was me and one other guy. And I felt like an underdog. I'll never forget it. And the problem is the other guy had two older brothers in the school who looked out for him. <laughs> so here I am. My voice wasn't even broken. And I'm in a whole situation where they looked down on me. I was the outsider. I don't know that I ever fully, in all honesty, um, forgot that. I've always brought it with me. And I, I, I really passionately feel for someone who's new in Ireland, who's come from another country, because I remember what it feels like to be the outsider in a situation of privilege. And I always, in my soul, keep an eye for the person who may be at a disadvantage if I can. But I felt like the underdog, and it went on for a while, and I was excluded. And I remember one day sitting in the class and there was this old um, Catholic uh, painting of the Sacred Heart. Some of you may, may remember it. It, it. You can see them around. But there was a prayer on it. I mentioned it before. And I remember looking up from my desk and I felt really lost. And I wasn't a Christian, but the prayer said, O Sacred Heart of Jesus, I place all my trust in thee. And you know what? At the age of 13, and I, didn't, I wasn't born again, but I prayed that prayer. And I said, Jesus, help me here. And when I prayed that, I felt I got courage and I started reaching out and I started an intentional program of trying to get on and break into this closed group without, even at that age, I didn't want to do stuff that, I wasn't, that wasn't me. But you know, God helped me and I was able to overcome being an underdog. I never forgot it. Now, that's when I was a child. I think most of us have felt like an underdog at some stage. And I would suspect some of us even feel like an underdog. Maybe not in our whole life, but in an aspect of life. Jonathan made a proclamation. And look at what he said to his assistant. He said it to his assistant and he said, Do everything you have in mind. I'm with you, heart. And soul, he said. You see, God never wants us to do stuff on our own. There is no such thing as just you on your own in ministry or in anything, really. God wants us to be part of a team. Jesus sent everyone out two by two. And when we look at the life of Jesus, he was really close to John. Remember, John lay his head on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper and looked up and asked him, is it me, Lord? Am I the one who will betray you? He was really close to John. And then he had Peter and James. There were four. And then there were the 12. And then there were the 72. And then there were the 500. God always asks us to be in community. Would anyone say amen? It's just the rhythm of scripture. There are times when I feel like I wish I wasn't, not often, but every now and again. But I'm not given that choice as a follower of Jesus Christ. So community is just inbuilt in the Bible. And here Jonathan isn't going to do this on his own. He's going to go with his assistant. And if you read into it, there was like this uh, a ridge or hill, and they had to climb up that to go and attack the enemy. And look what Jonathan said, climb up with me. 
God has given them into our hands. You know, uh, David Guzik, in his Bible commentary on this, makes a brilliant point. He said, Jonathan never read the New Testament, but he surely has a New Testament, Romans 8.31 heart, which says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Most of you know it. If God be for you, who can be against you? Are you going into uh, a supervisor or a boss or a workmate who's very unreasonable? Are you going into a teacher like that? Or is it a fellow pupil? Or is it someone in the wider family? If God be for you, they can't be against you. They can't. They have no hope. Will anyone say hallelujah? No hope. Not if you're right with God and you're walking with him. Climb up with me. Climb up with me. Comrade. Yes. Climb up with me. Yay! <laughs> Sometimes you and I need someone in our lives that says, you're in a hole. You're in a trap. You're in a dungeon. Here's the hill. Climb up with me. Will you climb up with me? Will you get out of that negative thinking? Will you get out of that vicious circle where you're constantly seeing yourself as a loser and you just don't have any hope or faith to get out of it? And all the odds are against you. And so he says this, climb up with me. And remember, they were all mocking them. Even though the Philistines laughed at and mocked at them. Come on over here, we'll teach you a lesson. I can imagine their cocky smiles. But Jonathan and his assistants silenced the voice of the enemy. Hallelujah. Because we're told they killed 20 Philistines. Now before you have a panic attack here, we're not saying kill anyone, all right? Some of you are looking shocked at me. Nobody needs to be killed by you. Amen? Amen? But we're going to kill depression. And we're going to kill suicidal thoughts. And we're going to kill addictions. And we're going to kill loneliness. Hallelujah! They're the enemies you and I are called to kill. They killed, even though they were only two against 20. That's 10 to 1. And what happened? As soon as word got out, a great panic broke out among all the Philistines. But that panic was sent from God. And that's not the only time in the Bible. This is a rhythm. This is a pattern doctrinally of where God turned the enemy upon themselves. You see, the Israelites only had wood, sticks and stones against iron swords and spears. They didn't have the weapons. And so God turned a panic and the Philistines started killing each other. So God just used the iron that the enemy had. Now, there's a lot of anxiety, especially the last year and a half. And a lot of people have been feeling panicky. Everyone has felt panic at some times. You know, when you think of the situation you're facing, how about you pray God sends a panic upon the one who's against you? If it's unjust, if it's wrong, Pray, God, you sent a panic among the Philistines, send a panic among them. And that way, you're just praying and you're letting God do the work. Very interesting. You could have said to Jonathan, Jonathan, when you're facing the Philistines, why didn't you just have a good old pray? 
Amen. Have a great time of prayer and just wait for it to happen. You see, half the time, now we're always called to pray, but half the time God wants that prayer to be partnered with a bit of faith. You take a step of faith. God wants a fighting spirit in us, brothers and sisters. You and I are born into a battle. Look at how Satan has used this COVID pandemic. Look at people whose hearts have gone cold. They just got comfortable at home and forgot about God. And it's kind of very, very gradual. Look at people who've just gone into a depression. They've lost all their confidence socially. The thought of talking to other people freaks them out. Jonathan could just have had a good old pray, but instead he coupled that with a bit of action. And that's what God often wants to see. The Lord wants us to partner with him. I love what Mark Twain said. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Now you might say, how dare you call me a dog? I'm not calling you a dog, okay? No one's calling you a dog. But we're just using this as a symbol, as an illustration. You might feel small intellectually. You might feel small in your looks or your personality or your finances or your ability to be streetwise and socially able to read stuff. You might feel small in all kinds of ways. But if you have a godly fight in your belly, if you have a soul that is willing not just to pray, but to take a step of faith and do something, you know what? In my experience, God honors that. Hallelujah. But don't do it alone. Make sure there's someone to cover you, to partner. Go out two by two. Have someone else who can partner with you. It really is true. I'm against time. But I love what the Holy Spirit, through the scripture, as it was recorded by Moses, said to a traumatized nation who were only recently after escaping slavery and had a really bad self-image because all their lives they were told, you're a loser. You're the underdog. You're not like us, the Egyptians. You're just an Israelite. And they had them shepherd sheep because sheep were regarded as the dirtiest animal. And so it's a bit like the untouchable or the Dalit class in India who are seen as dirty and they're the ones cleaning toilets and so on. They were the bottom of the bottom. And so these people with all this baggage and all this bad self-image and in the dark moments they would think if only I was an Egyptian, they're beautiful, but we're just Israelites. We're the slaves. So to a whole nation that had only recently emerged from that shadow but still carried the echo, the fingerprint of that oppression, this is what God said. You are the head. You're not the tail. Always above. Never beneath. You see, some of us here need to hear it. Maybe others, you're there, praise God. But some of us need to be reminded, or maybe we're hearing it for the first time. God doesn't want you as a defeated victim. He really does want you to be more than a conqueror. You might go, I've heard loads of sermons like this. Good, because you need to hear more. Because every day out there, 
society is structured in such a way that we are hit with all different messages and images. Look, you see advertisements just like I do. I have yet to see a normal-looking person advertising something. They're freaks. They look like freaks to me. Do you see all the men now, for example? I'm not even going to go with the women. I'm going to be safe here. You see the men? I mean, they, to me, they look like freaks. There's muscles on their muscles. They, they, they look weird. They're like cartoonish. Their teeth are so white, it's like they drank a bottle of bleach. Hello? And none of them are bald. Why? <laughs> or red-haired. <laughs> You are bombarded, I am bombarded, with an image of what is the best. Even on Facebook, we tend to put up, and I'm as guilty as anyone, nice things. And so we, we actually subliminally are fed with a narrative that everyone's having a great time. She's on her holidays, and he's after getting a job promotion, and look at him out at the restaurant, and look at that guy, he won all the goals in the match, and I'm home here, and I'm no friend here. So we're constantly fed with this. You know what? Let's rise above it. And let's see if God is for us, who can be against us? Sam and team, we're going to sing, I think it's a fighting song, from Bethel, we will not be shaken. And I'm going to pray that you'd have courage, that's all, to fight the fight in your situation. And that you don't opt out and say, I'll just have a good old pray. That you'll actually do something. And that you won't do it alone. Will you stand with me? Let's throw up the words. Time is against us. Going to have to cut this short. But let's sing a verse and a chorus and then we'll pray before we close. Sam. unfailing love we will not be shaken we will not be shaken we will not be shaken for we
Hallelujah. Some of us right now, we need to have courage for now. It's not even tomorrow, it's today. Some of us need to have courage to call out in Jesus to come into our lives. And many of us perhaps need to have courage to face the situation. If you need courage today, just in your situation, you might be in great form in a whole part of your life, but there's one area you need God's courage on. Can you lift up your hand just where you stand? That's it. It's okay to be honest. Hallelujah. I would really be honored and I would love if we as a church could pray for your immediate situation. I know it's nearly half the church, but could I ask you to come forward and just stand here and we're just going to pray so that you own the prayer. If you're shy, you don't have to, but I think it helps us uh, just as we come forward. And I'm going to ask everyone else here, can we pray for our brothers and pray for our sisters? God knows their situation. We don't, but God knows, and they need courage. Courage to go into the doctor, courage to go to the bank manager, to the boss, to school. In a relationship, God knows. Hallelujah. Could I ask you, if you're up for it, just lift up your hand and point it towards these guys, people in the congregation. Can I ask those who are here for prayer to lift up your hands to heaven? We pray into every workplace, every family, every doctor's appointment, every bank appointment. We pray into every school, every neighborhood, every battle against depression, against loneliness, against an addiction, against a wrong relationship, whatever it is. Come, Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask all of you here, just at the count of three, to say those three words. Come, Holy Spirit. And this is your prayer to God. You're making it real in your situation. So at the count of three. And could I ask everyone to say it in solidarity with them? Come, Holy Spirit. Let's say it. One, two, three. Come, Holy Spirit. Send your Spirit, Lord into each of these lies and I prayed they would have courage like Jonathan that they would make a proclamation that they will not tolerate being an underdog against superior power in the natural and I pray God that you would give them an overwhelming courage to fight the fight they need to fight I pray, oh God, for those who feel on their own you would raise up a Jonathan in their lives who will say amen who will reach out his hand at the hill and say, Climb up with me. I pray, oh God, we would grasp that hand. I pray, God, right now you would raise up Jonathans all over this community. And that we would be known as a people who are not the underdog. And so into your heart right now, I pray you would get a revelation, a vision. That you are not the tail. You are the head. Who will say amen? that you are not underneath, you are above. Can you say amen? And I pray, God, this would just grip each one's heart here and that they would go back and face the week ahead with a courage that goes beyond reason, that is supernatural. Come now, Lord, in Jesus' name. And God's people said...
Amen. Just where we stand, can I pray for everyone because the clock is against me. If you're up for it, can you lift up your hands one last time? For everyone here who needs courage in the future, I pray that we would pray, but I also pray we would act. So I pray for an outbreak, not of a virus, but an outbreak of steps of faith into the lives of everyone who's sincerely praying in this hall now or up in the atrium. And I also pray, O oh God, for their families and their situations. May the blessing of God go with each one of you. And may you see the week and the month and the season ahead as one where the odds change in your favor and that you would kill that enemy in your life. We pray in Jesus' name with a bit of faith. And one last time the people of God said, Thank you so much for coming, brothers and sisters. God bless you. We're serving coffee downstairs in the Courtyard Cafe. And Ben and the band are going to play us out. God bless you. God go with you. And we'll talk to you in a moment.